0: into the amazing world of homeopathy, and now here's your host, Sue Meyer.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Homeopathy for Mommies. I'm Sue Meyer, and today we are so fortunate to have Dr. Isaac Golden back for a part two podcast. We're so so excited because, well, what we did last time is we had a part one, and then he had like a private Q and A with our members, and it was absolutely wonderful. We were all so excited about it and he gave us a lot more information on, and and so what we're going to do here in this part, two is we're also going to talk about what Dr. Isaac Golden is doing now because he's he was he had informed us of the wonderful books that he's written. He's got how many books do you have out there now, Dr. Isaac?
2: Um Eleven, although (laughs) some of them are very small and some of them are quite large, but
1: (laughs) that's amazing. (laughs) So I'm
2: being a little bit pretentious saying they're calling them (laughs) books, maybe Sue, but yeah. They're papers or
1: writings. Well no, Uh, no,
2: they're you know, they're they're small books and big books, you know. They vary
1: wonderful. That's great. So anyway, Dr. Isaac Golden has has brought to the to the surface for all of the world, every nation. Has heard of Dr. Isaac Golden because he has brought so much information to us about homeoprophylaxis. And he explained to us in our first podcast that Hahnemann, Samuel Hahnemann, the doctor, the original doctor of homeopathy, he actually used homeoprophylaxis. But now it's, it's growing to a point where we can all use it safely and effectively and understand it. And that's what he has been doing to help the world understand. So with that, I'm going to ask Dr. Isaac Golden, tell us a little bit more about himself again, and then tell us what he's doing now and where he sees homeoprophylaxis going in the future.
2: Right. That's a lot of questions. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I remember the third one by the time I do the first one.
1: We'll remind you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Good, good, good. I mean, um, at a certain age, one gets more and more like the uh, goldfish swimming around the the bowl don't you <laughs>
1: well i i 've listened to many of your 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 um interviews around the world, and we all ask you the same questions, so yes, you constantly have to repeat yourself, and I do feel really bad but
2: no 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 that 's not a problem okay look um, the 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 thing that attracted me initially to i guess specialize in homeoprophylaxis uh in 1985, because that's when I designed my first long-term program, was the fact that before I knew what homeopathy was, I used to vaccinate my children and one of them was vaccine injured. And then when I chose to change my career path to my amazement, when I first read Hahnemann's Lesser Writings, uh, which is basically a collection of his essays over the years published in different journals around Europe. Uh, there was a, and one of his articles was entitled The Cure and Prevention of Scarlet Fever. And that was published in 1801, but it described uh, his first use of homeopathic immunization or homeoprophylaxis in 1798, where he used the remedy belladonna to both treat and prevent scarlet fever. Now, it's really important, Sue, that I think your um, listeners... Understand that homeoprophylaxis is not accepted by every homeopath. There are some homeopaths, and I won't use too many adjectives, or any preferably, <laughs> uh, who believe that we only should use homeopathy for treatment. Because the way they read Hunneman's seminal work, The Organon of Medicine, which went through seven editions or six editions, um, was to uh, he mainly talked about the use of homeopathy when treating people. In other words, the principle of similars, as was explained there, if something causes symptoms in a healthy person, it will relieve similar symptoms in an unwell person. And we talked very briefly about that little example of ipecac syrup, which if you swallow something that's toxic, So if appropriate, the doctor will give you Ipecac syrup, which will cause you to vomit. And Ipecac is a very useful remedy to treat people with nausea and vomiting, but only, and this is the difference with homeopathy, only if they have a clean, moist tongue, because most of the time when people have gastrointestinal problems, their tongue is coated uh, and it may or may not be moist. So The clean, moist tongue for Ipercac is what we call in homeopathy the PQRS symptom, peculiar, queer, rare, and strange. Can't say it these days, but back then (laughs) it was quite appropriate. Um, And what that does, it individualizes. And that's what we have to do because if you look in our books, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of remedies that have nausea and vomiting. So how do you select it? Well, we select Ipercac because it's got that unusual symptom of the nausea and vomiting accompanied by a uh, clean moist tongue. So um, Hahnemann, when he used belladonna, belladonna is an amazing remedy for fevers in general, not just from scarlet fever, but any si- sudden onset high fever, <clears throat> particularly in children, but not just in children, but particularly in children where the eyes are glassy, where the temperature, the head is really hot, but there's no sweat. Um, very often, and, and there's a reddish hue, very often Belladonna will just fix that up after a couple of doses. Uh, Give it in a reasonable potency, I usually use 200. Uh, some people use th- lower potencies, 30. I was shocked the other day that uh, when I was talking to <clears throat> a patient about uh, homeoprophylaxis for her little one, And she said, oh, look, the little one's, I think it was about uh, five months old and uh, has had colic and reflux all his brief life. And she said, oh, I'm using a homeopathic. So I got her to read out the contents. And there were three things, belladonna and two other herbal, quite harsh herbal uh, remedies. But the belladonna was tincture. And I was shocked. Because that can kill people. Yeah. <laughs> we don't use belladonna in tincture because uh, it is very, very oh, toxic. Yeah. It's like oh. using aconite, the other sudden onset fever remedy in homeopathy. And I, I mentioned to her that some, I don't know, might have been 10 years ago now, on the other side of Australia to where I am in, in Perth, there was a case where a, a Chinese medicine practitioner had given a tincture of aconite. To a young person, and they died. Oh, so this is one of the great blessings of homeopathy, and, and what Hunneman found with using things in potencies, uh, it can render something that in crude form is potentially very, very dangerous to being a, an absolute blessing. It's like using the arsenic and all those, you know, heavy metals, right. um, which have a huge range of use. I'm sorry, I'm digressing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's okay.
2: But anyway, this great. is a very a very long way around saying that I really, um, when I read about Hunterman's use of belladonna with uh, scarlet fever, that was a life changer for me, and that's when I decided to develop a program for use in Australia. And of course, back in 1985, there were many fewer vaccines in the Orthodox program, so I just really... Uh, Copied the orthodox program, but I spaced it differently and only used, of course, one remedy at a time rather than mixing up the DPT at that time had three different antigens in it. Now, of course, DPT-HEXA has six antigens. And similarly with MMR, back a little bit after that, there was a single uh, vaccine for measles. Now they've got MMRV, measles, mumps, rivella and varicella, chickenpox. So um, I've changed my program, um, my long-term program, uh, four times over the the years. Most of the data that I've collected, and and you see, what I've seen as my task, because I have a a background, not a massive background, but a background in economic statistics, an honours degree in economics, but I enjoy numbers, and so I saw my task is trying to collect as much data as possible. Because I can't give you the explanation of exactly how it works. And I don't think anyone can definitively, maybe in 50 years time, whether it's memory of water, whether it's nanoparticles, there's some very, very clever people working on this around the world. And I'm sure in time, there will be an explanation. But what we can say now is that there is a massive amount of data showing the effectiveness of the method. And in 2019, I published two different articles, um, one in an American journal, one in the Australian journal, peer-reviewed journals, summarizing the information I was able to collect from three countries, Cuba, India, and Brazil. So just three countries. This is the tip of the iceberg. Just three. (laughs) Yeah, mainly in um, use by government accredited organization so either government departments or universities accredited by governments or hospitals accredited by government so this was not you know some crazy old homeopaths living in the bush somewhere (laughs) handing out pills to a lot of people and there it came to over 250 million doses wow from about uh, over about 20 something interventions, which lasted around 36 years. That's off the top of my head. If people want to see a summary of that, if they go to my website, homestudy.net, right down the bottom of the immunization page, there's a link to a free article, um, which summarizes those two peer reviewed articles. And people can see for themselves. I'm not making this up. And (laughs) 250 million doses is a lot of doses that would have covered probably about 55 to 60 million people because some of the doses were in programs like the Japanese encephalitis program in India uh, went for 11 years in children under 15 years of age so some children they would have had the whole 11 years some children would have been older when it first started the program it was amazingly successful. Uh, It was started in Andhra Pradesh and then Andhra Pradesh um, split into two states, Andhra Pradesh and I think it's Telangana. My Indian pronunciation may be Australianized, but, or Telangana, I don't know. Um, But anyway, (laughs) it covers that population. And I mean, when I first heard about, this is the reason I went to India for the first time in 2015, because when a little bit of data a little bit of information about this wonderful program came out covering only the first four years of the program. I thought to myself, is this true? Ah. Is this really
0: true? And so in
2: 2015, I went to India specifically to Hyderabad uh, and a few other cities while I was there, but to look up the people who were responsible for this and, and, it was true. And then I've been back to India five times and I have followed the progress. I think in 2011, they stopped the program because they were so successful. Um, oh. There were no more cases. I mean, but they got to know more cases after about two years, okay. whereas other States around Andhra Pradesh still had cases of Japanese encephalitis. And, but collecting the data following that when they stopped, you can see it's starting to rise again a little bit. So it shows when they stopped the program and they were giving um, what a a sort of a triple dose. It was actually doses of three different remedies on every September, I think it was, or particularly over one month every year. So unlike normal um, epidemic treatments where you get stuck into Uh, dosing people with whatever the remedy is during the epidemic, they started a program where they were giving this um, belladonna, uh, calc carb, and um, tuberculinum spread over, the three doses spread over uh, a monthly period, and they're doing that the same month every year. And as I said, it was remarkably successful. It's the world's largest ever documented use of homeoprophylaxis so they was that was sort of halfway between a standard epidemic approach where you just dose and dose and dose until the epidemic passes right and my long term program where once you get started you're really dosing only for a particular disease only annually or less than that and this was very close to that sort of timing But, of course, using a different approach. This is the thing with homeopathy, the principle of similars. And I remember what I was talking about originally now, which I didn't finish talking about. But the principle of similars is very flexible. A lot of people who even very good homeopaths think it's very rigid. It's not. It gives us a great deal of flexibility. If it was the principle of the same, we would find homeopathy almost impossible to use. But what Hahnemann did with a hundred medicines by the time he died was what we 're doing now with three or four thousand medicines right and the reason he did that and successfully was because he would select the most similar medicine, and for a lot of his time he only had thirty medicines. He would select the most similar that wouldn't necessarily completely cure the person, but it would move them to a towards cure. but right. then a different set of symptoms would present he'd then select the next most similar medicine that he had at that point in time, give that, then they'd progress. they sort of zigzagging towards a cure. Whereas today, of course, with so many medicines, um, there is a greater possibility of getting the one that fixes the whole lot. And we're talking about chronic conditions now more than... Well, I mean, it also applies to acute because if you select the best remedy um, for acutes, like I know with treating for COVID, I've found with many of the people I've um, treated for COVID that you have to do a little bit of zigzagging. In other words, you'll give the remedy that stands out as being the most similar at the point of time of treatment, and that will move them towards cure, but it w- there'll still be something left. you know they might right. still have a problem with smell, or they might still have a bit of a cough or some, whatever, right. and then you give the next most appropriate one, and that uh, finishes it off. But every now and again, one remedy. We'll cover everything. And um, when I first started in Australia, the, most of the cases were bryonia. Okay. Um, it was very, very strong. And that's changed, by the way, three or four times. <laughs> but I found at the beginning um, I was giving people bryonia and a lot of them were just, it was fine. You know, after uh, three or four days or a week, that was the end of the treatment and then I thought this is going to be easy and of course it wasn't <laughs> right. because all the different variants came in and yes. as more and more people got it you know different regions of the country had different what we call genus epidemicus remedies in other words right. the remedy that best fits and i'm sure you find the same in america that yep. people in different states probably have a, a slightly different symptom profile
1: well i will um, say that i did find that yep. bryonia was the remedy that worked super well here too the first the, on the first go round and, yep. you know, because it was just that uh, every time they movie you'd either throw up or the headache yep. or, and it was just doing, it was amazing. And, and and like I said, people weren't sick for very long the first time around, it was just yep. like I said, yep. a few days. And, but the next whammy well, got us good. <laughs> and the well, and the third, that
2: must've, that must've been the Wuhan genus epidemicus remedy. Okay. Because that was the first right. variant that all of us got. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So And and as you say, then it changed. (laughs) And um, it was interesting, you know, uh, to his great credit, Dr. Sankaran, who is very famous for psychological homeopathy, if you like, um, finding the essence of the person. um, He came out and suggested camphora. And at that time, I hadn't seen any camphora cases. And I thought, oh, well, I mean, I, I highly respect his knowledge. He's incredibly... Devoted homeopath who's done a lot of wonderful work, but camphora really, and then more and more I start seeing camphora cases, yep, exactly.
1: And, that was usually yeah. like at the tail end when when all the symptoms completely changed, and then they went into like a shock like symptom that's what I noticed and i it's it okay. pulled a couple of people out of seriously shock like symptoms where the temperature dropped so fast, and they went into that that Oh, that dead cold! It was just, yeah. That was amazing, and I was glad for that information because i I don't know if in that panic state when everything changed so quickly that I would have really thought of it. Just simply because it was too yeah. up close and personal.
2: Well, I wouldn't have thought about it because it's right. not a remedy I use very much. Right.
1: Yeah, because at all. It, yeah, it, it antidotes everything. are the remedies.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but interesting. Over here, I was finding. Uh, less now but uh, there was a period of time so it must have related to one variant early this year around january so where a lot of uh, where camphora was indicated as the first remedy oh my yeah and it wasn't necessarily in that collapsed shock state okay uh, because it fitted other things as well so it just shows that we can be extremely flexible with the principle of similars and sometimes you get it you nail it with the one remedy. Other times you've got to zigzag like Hunneman did for virtually everything um, in his early days, because he had so few remedies to begin with. Um, And yeah. So anyway, that's the reason I went to India. And I mean, I've learned so much from my trips. I've worked at the CCRH, the Central Council for Research in Homeopathy, Uh, in Delhi on a numbers of occasions. Uh, I've been out to Kerala quite a few times because homeopathy is quite amazing in Kerala. The government there is uh, incredibly supportive. Um, And in fact, they've been using, I wish we would do it here in Australia, they were using um, homeoprophylaxis for protection for their youngest children. And of course, doing it totally safely. And in fact, I put a uh, if any of your um, people are interested, if they look at the Health Australia Party Facebook page, I did a post yesterday talking exactly about uh, one of the things I was talking about was exactly about, please, let's not harm our young children by giving them COVID vaccines. And, this, and I quoted a letter written by, uh, I think it was 67 English doctors to the UK uh, Health Department which has recently been done, but it was a brilliant letter. And it just, in simple terms that anyone can read, and it wasn't massive, like, you know, it wasn't 50 pages, it was a couple of pages, and um, saying very simply in real science terms, but in terms people can understand exactly why vaccinating infants and even, you know, children and teenagers is so inappropriate, against uh, COVID because the risk profile is minimal. Um, All the evidence suggests that most of the time these people get it. It's a very mild condition and the evidence is building as to the harm that's being caused. So I I actually, in the um, video post, just read out the final conclusion which was a, a once again a beautiful summary but if anyone's interested in this i'd highly recommend they look at that letter because okay um, and that can be found on your website it, you say no 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 uh, the health australia part okay health australia facebook Party. page okay yeah. facebook <laughs> yeah but i mean even if people just googled um letter by uk doctors regarding okay. covid in in young people. I mean, okay. you'd probably find a, a link to it.
0: Okay. In
2: fact, actually um, it was put out by the, I think there's a link uh, to it with in children's health defense, okay. that wonderful um, group, you know, that um, Kennedy and, and others have, have yeah. formed.
0: Right. And I
2: really, I really love their, uh their regular posts because a lot of people well-intentioned people when they're talking about COVID have gone down the rabbit hole and that doesn't help anyone. I don't think, Um, you know, they'll have some people that say, yeah, yeah, that's what's happening. But for people who are less inclined to go down rabbit holes, they'll think, no, that's just two way out. But with children's health defense, I've found them uh, one of the reliable sites and they put up a, a lot of factual information. And I think I'm pretty sure that I saw this letter there. It's been in a number of other, um, you know, sites. Bollinger's may have put it up on theirs, et cetera. But um, anyway, if people know that better, they could look there. But Googling will find it, I'm sure. And I'll tell you what, it's, it really is fantastic what right. they've done. Right. And that's, you know, the other thing is they say in their letter, because these are not people who are anti-vax. These are doctors right. who are concerned about the putting COVID vaccines into young people will turn parents off yep. going using orthodox vaccines for measles, mumps, and, you know, whooping cough, et cetera. And by the way, they're spot on. I'm getting so many inquiries now from parents who never thought about using something other than a vaccine for the normal diseases they're getting in contact with me now and say look this has opened our eyes and we've heard that there's an option that's safer than the vaccines what can you tell us about so they're spot on so this letter was from doctors who were concerned about overuse of the covid vaccines affecting the normal vaccination program but what they don't realize is that they were saying okay in some cases if a child is really immune compromised etc etc then yeah do it on a targeted base where there's real need but the problem is that those children are the ones who are most likely to be affected negatively by any vaccine right and this is where homeoprophylaxis has a perfect solution we can offer a level of protection which is comparable to vaccines without any risk of toxic damage in children whose immune systems are severely compromised. That's it's the perfect option.
1: Right, right. That's why I love it. I know. I know. Which reminds me when you, um, the, Wonderful move, film that um, Ananda Moore had put out. Yep. You you were interviewed on there. It was wonderful. Yep. And if anyone hasn't seen that, it's called Magic Pills. Everyone. She put it out several <laughs> years ago now. Um, and you did talk about the work that you did in Cuba. And I know yep. our listeners in the first podcast didn't get to hear much about Cuba. So could you give us okay. a scenario about you know what was what you did there and sure. kind of what they found out?
2: Yep. So uh, there's a little story about this, so it'll just take a couple of minutes. Oh, that's great. I love your stories. (laughs) It's an interesting story. Um, So I've been working with homeoprophylaxis, as I said, since 1985. I've been collecting data from people using my program. And of course, I've been looking at journals around the world, trying to find information and and publish material. And there's not a lot. There wasn't a lot. Uh, And then in 2000. Late 2007, I received an email from someone from the Finlay Institute in um, Cuba. And they said, Right, we're going to have a, a big conference at the end of 2008 in Havana, and we're going to call it NoZodes 2008. And we'd like, we're inviting you to be the keynote speaker. And I mean, I didn't know who this person was. I didn't know what the organization was, but I wrote back. Yeah, I I said, yeah, that's fine. Okay. And then forgot about it. And then about um, six months later, I got another email basically saying, right, we're just confirming that you're okay for the conference. Anyway, I thought I'd better do it a bit of due diligence. And I looked up the Finlay Institute and to my absolute horror, found it was a vaccine manufacturer. In fact, (laughs) I later found out it was one of the five major scientific institutes in Cuba um, and its job was to make vaccines uh, and mainly for the Cuban population and for uh, South America and for Africa. In other words, they would sell their vaccines mainly to so-called third world countries. Um, And I thought, What's going on here? Because <laughs> the media in Australia is very Americanized. And so Cuba did not get a good rap uh, normally, wow. you know, the communists and insurgents and et cetera, et cetera, Bay of Pigs, all this <laughs> sort of stuff. Yep. And so I thought, okay, so the uh, this vaccine manufacturer in Cuba is asking experts in homeopathic immunization from around the world to come to a conference, are we all going to disappear? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I thought that.
1: <laughs> I, I, could, I would probably cross my mind as well.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I thought, anyway, I said yes. And um, <laughs> went the, it, that fear was somewhat um, activated when I first landed in Nivana. Um, so I'm cutting out a lot of detail along the way because we were walking down this very long corridor from the plane, and it had a big left-hand turn with a door. And by the door was uh, a thick-set man um, with a bulge on his uh, <laughs> underneath his coat, which I would assume was a weapon, and he was holding a sign with my name on it. <laughs> And I said, That's me. <laughs> he said, "Come." Oh, my. so we went through the door, walked down another very long corridor, and he took me to this very strange room where there was a whole lot of uh, leather armchairs and and wow. sort of couches, really old style, like you know stuff you'd see uh, back in the nineteen twenties, probably. And it was quite dark; wasn't well lit. And and he said, "Wait." <laughs> <laughs> and um, So I was wow. sitting there thinking, what on earth is going to happen? And then after about um, fifteen minutes, two people came in who changed my life.
1: Oh,
2: um, they were uh, the first one was Doctor Doctor Concepcion Campa Huego who everyone calls Conchita, and she was the president of the Finlay Institute, and I've come to, I came to know her as the mother Teresa of Havana, actually, quite seriously. She devoted her life to people. Um, She and Fidel were great friends. In fact, she'd ring him almost daily. Um, And he'd put her in charge of um, the Finlay Institute to develop vaccines for the Cuban population because when Fidel took over, he had three priorities, because Cuba had one of the highest infant mortalities in the world. They Homer. had one of the lowest level of literacy in the world. And so um, you know, Castro had three priorities: uh, build up literacy, in other words, education, stop this um, appalling loss of life among infants, in other words, health. And the third one was stay in power at all costs. Well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) he is actually, was a dictator. I found him, from what I could see, a relatively benign dictator when you look at dictators around the world. But obviously that was his number one priority. But I mean, he did amazing things with health and education. Uh, And I mean, Cubans now have a better level of literacy than Australians and Americans. And they have a... Uh, a lower level of infant mortality, certainly than America. And it's about the same as Australia. So, I mean, that that was the, you know, his priority. And obviously Conchita um, was, she was the only woman at the time on Cuba's national council. This shows the sort of weight she had in the country. So you had Castro, Then the National Council, and then there were local, um, you know, which, which, and actually the local side of it was quite democratic. Uh, They have local elections where everyone votes, but of course they don't vote for (laughs) who's in charge. But she was the only woman on the National Council of Cuba. Um, And yeah, so the other person was uh, uh, Dr. Gustavo. Bracho, who uh, subsequently, he and I become great friends. He visited Australia and stayed at my home. And um, every time I made four trips to Cuba and he hosted me the four times. And he was the vice president of Finlay that led the homeoprophylaxis wow. programs. Now, the reason they invited me was that their first major use, major use of homeoprophylaxis um, was in 2007. Okay. And I subsequently found out that they use my dosing protocols, oh. and so that's why they asked me to be the the keynote speaker at their conference. Wow. And it was against leptospirosis, and it did pretty well. Uh, leptospirosis is a, an animal-born disease. Usually, it's spread through rat urine into water, and then to humans. So it's worse. On the eastern side of Cuba, where they have much worse hurricanes, much more badly affected by hurricane season. And in 2007, they had bad hurricanes. The incident went up and uh, Conchita, Dr. Camper made the decision to use homeoprophylaxis because they did have a, a leptospirosis vaccine, which was not particularly, you know, it was moderately effective. Um, and she put... Uh, Dr. Braccio in charge of doing that, uh, which he did, 2.2 uh, million people. And they only had a predictive model to, to give an estimate of how successful it was, but it was successful. But in 2008, so this was even before they'd, uh, oh, sorry, after they'd planned the conference, they planned the conference at the end of 2007. Uh, fortunately, for the end of 2008. But in 2008, they had three major hurricanes. Oh my. Um, which devastated the, um, the eastern side of Cuba. And because, once again, they only intervened in those three eastern provinces, they had the other nine provinces on, towards the west, which were not as badly hit as a control group. Okay. And it was the perfect control group. And what the data showed was that um, the incidence and deaths from the disease in the intervened provinces, which were worst hit by the hurricanes, were minimal, whereas in the rest of the country, they were up here. You know, so it was down here for the intervened and way up here, um, per head of population we're talking about. Right. Uh, And it was overwhelming proof of the success of what they did. So. They had an an article published about the 2007 uh, first use of this in the journal Homeopathy, you know, out of England, and a lot of people say, you know, what a great article, and it was. Uh, but Bracho and I uh, published a number of articles about the 2008 experience. I think, uh, particularly in Homeopathic Links, and it would still be back there, and that that those articles are actually a lot more. Uh, important because the it wasn't relying on a predictive model of what might have happened in the eastern it was directly comparing what happened in the eastern region with the western region which wasn't as badly hit but um, it it was overwhelming proof of the effectiveness of that intervention and um, later on on my third visit to Cuba or was it the fourth we did We wrote another article where we went back and we looked at all the potential confounders to that 2008 experience. So things like, you know, how many people were given a vaccine, how many people were given chemoprophylaxis, in other words, um, you know, antibiotics or whatever. Uh, as both a preventative or a treatment. How many people may have been affected by advertising by the government to be careful about water? We looked at all of the potential confounders and published another article, which I think is the definitive article on that experience. And it showed without any doubt at all how effective that was. So the Cuban experience for me was an absolutely marvellous one. I mean, it was a blessing from above. I learned so much. And let me just tell you one more quick little story, which I hope I didn't mention last time. (laughs) When I first went to um, Cuba in 2008 for that conference, um, it was in a hotel which the Finlay Institute used because it was a government-basically funded hotel. And I went down on the first night to have dinner, and there was this big group of uh, people sitting there, And one of them called across, oh, are you uh, Dr. Golden? I said, yes, yes. Uh, And oh, we're from uh, uh, the homeopathic equivalent of medicines on frontiers. Um, They were mainly doctors from Canada um, and some other countries who uh, worked around the world in epidemic situations, dispensing homeopathy. So wonderful people. And they'd been invited, of course. And anyway, um, they had great mirth at my expense, because um, I, you know I sat down with them and had my meal with them, and they said, um, "By the way, uh, uh, we're, some of us know about your program, and I, we notice you only use one remedy at a time." I said, "Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. that's what homeopathy usually does." And with great mirth, they then said, "Do you realise that the Cubans only use complexes for their homeoprophylaxis? <laughs> And I said, no, I didn't. (laughs) And so that was a real challenge uh, to me intellectually, nothing else, as well as, if you like, morally, because what the Cubans did, which really no other country has done like them, they um, put together a combination of the different strains of the antigen and the most uh, the strongest genus epidemicus remedies, in other words, the remedies used to treat. So rather than using a single nozode or rather than using a single a treatment genus epidemicus remedy, they combined the yeah. them all, but they had success. So why would I say, no, they shouldn't do that with such wonderful results? And in the end, I think on my third visit, I remember sitting down with... Uh, Dr. Bracho in uh, Finlay, and we were working on their latest dengue um, uh, HP back then. And they in uh, back then, there were four major variants, for want of a better word, of the dengue um, back in Cuba. So they put the four different nozos in. And then we had a real problem uh, with the GE remedies because dengue, the first time you get it, It's not a really serious disease. There's lots of aches and pains. Jupiterium perfoliatum is the standard homeopathic treatment at that time. But if people get infected for a second time, it becomes potentially very serious and fatal. And so people can get dengue hemorrhagic fever. And so remedies, well, the the reptile remedies, you know, lechesis, all those sort of uh, remedies, which have a lot of hemorrhaging. Um, even phosphorus which is a hemorrhage remedy with bright red blood and some of the other ones had darker blood so we had to think about what ge remedies we're going to put in because we're trying to protect people from the the second infection as well as people from the first and so you know it was a it was a wonderful experience for me because with covid that's exactly what i did here
1: okay
2: right Uh, i put made a mixture of similar nosos Initially, back in February 2020, it didn't have any um, COVID nosodes. So, you know, things like tuberculitum, vasculinum, uh, influenzinum, those sort of remedies, pneumococinum, they were sort of similar nozodes. And uh, in terms of the similar GE remedies, I was looking at experience that was being published uh, from doctors around the world. Um, you know, things like arsenicum, which came out of India, uh, bryonia. Uh, those sort of remedies as the GE remedies um, so if it hadn't been for that Cuban experience I would never have done that right so well I will tell
1: you issue. the two I I, like, I remember because I actually looked at your study too I mean all of the you know our members did and I said okay I know he's classical <laughs> okay and you know and, and I will say uh, my mindset is very classical as well I um, I know we use um, combination x potencies, but we're talking higher potencies now. And so I'm oh, really, I'm really interested in this because like I, t- you know, the, one of the things that joy and I talk about is, is homeopathy has been an ongoing progression. You know, we don't, Hahnemann had what he predicted and he said, we should never use C potencies because you can't prove a group of remedies like that. But from what I'm seeing here is too, like you said, some, this, these, the remedies that I was looking at, like in your group of remedies that you had suggested, I says that, you know, a lot of times a lot of these things coexist and the remedies that you're putting together don't necessarily cancel each other out because we do have that much from our materia medica. So I'm really interested. And like I said, I, I won't even pretend to know what where we're going with homeopathy in the future. And and um, we've had many people report back, hey, I use Dr. Golden's, you know, combination remedies and we never got sick here. You know, I'm like, okay, <laughs> there's so much so to be there, learned. There,
2: there's one thing that, <laughs> You said that I need to ask you about. Okay. Because you said that hunneman said we can't prove yes. combination remedies. Well, where where his, did he say that?
1: Well, in because his,
2: he used combination remedies in the sense that. And not of
1: course. Yes, like herring, herring came up combination with of a whole just, lot of things. What
2: is self Is a combination of different elements. That's a preparation. Right? So,
1: You're right. You're right. He did. So if I you guess.
2: make if you make a. a, a a remedy with a mixture of a whole lot of stuff you can then prove that there okay. is nothing to stop people proving combination remedies and once you do that okay they then become if you like a single remedy with a known symptom picture which then can be prescribed classically
1: well I, like you single- say hepper self is a combination remedy in in the sense but it's it's prepared in the lab as it's a preparation a mixture so of acid, Yes, right. Yeah, Just it's a mixture of things. things. So, yes. if you
2: mix one uh, one um, viral uh, variant with another viral variant, and you put in some uh, arsenicum and you put in some bryonia, that's a mixture. You you're, can prove well, it. Well,
1: you're right. You can right. prove it as a
2: single you're, thing, <laughs> an entity.
1: You're absolutely right. Okay, so and this that's
2: is- what I say to people to to, to people who worry about. Combinations that okay, if once what these combinations are proved they then become a remedy, pulsatilla, the single herb, when you okay. break down all its constituents someone told me once has seventeen different things in it, you okay. know which could are individual things, but if you look at the whole herb, you can separate it into seventeen different things that 's a combination that 's a combination of seventeen different things which well, we see and that 's
1: why i like whole herbs because god puts everything into that herb that he knows works well together so it's when i will say i start getting nervous when we start putting you know but i do know that a lot of people in our group even have used that combination that you put together for you know your your people out for COVID, and it's worked wonderfully well for them so um you know and and where they should have been they were exposed they should have gotten COVID, and they never did. Yeah. And, I'm, um, you know, there's um, members I'm that would love to tell you version. about their stories.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the fir- fourth version of that now. Wow. So I've changed it. And this is the thing I learned in Cuba. We must be flexible. Right. Um, and that's why I say the principle of similars gives us flexibility. It gives us a, a stable base with which to be flexible. Right. Um, and I, look, I don't. You, I don't. Apart from things like the COVID mix, I'm a single remedy at a time guy. Right. Um, you know, I have thought about when treating people with COVID. Why don't I just mix all the ones together and just give them everyone the same bottle of mixed GE remedies when treating? And I'll no. Yeah. No, I want to try and individualise as much as I can because I also do believe that. Um, if you get the single remedy uh, correct, that's most similar to give you an example that like the mixtures that I have problems with, are say someone ha- who has rheumatic issues okay. and quite a few uh, mixtures that are on the market have both bryonia and Rustox. Now, they have opposite modalities, right. as you know you know, Bryonia wants to lie completely still. Rustox needs to move around. And in fact, when I've been treating, uh, because I went through a Rustox phase here with treatment, um, the the people initially, they wanted to just be still. Then after some months with COVID, there was a whole period of time where Rustox came up constantly because the people were restless. They had to move to be comfortable. So to me if someone has a rheum- rheumatic arthritic type problem, they're going to either want to be completely still or they're going to move around. Right. So either Bryonia or Rustox is going to be better for them. Uh-huh. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to use a combination, which has both those things in it, just because it covers a broader number of people. I want to use the one that fits the person the best. Right. But right. with, with COVID, what are we preventing? You see, um, and with particularly with all the changing variants, now I'm continually asked, even with my fourth version of of, of the, the remedy, uh, is this going to cover the the current variants? And it may not cover the current variants as well as it covered the old variants, because it doesn't have the necessarily the latest um, nose oats. Because I can't get them, I can't walk down the street and and buy a you know a potency uh, of the latest variant um, right. you know you can you need special access basically right. so what I try and do with the different variant as I get a new nosode, usually from overseas if it's appropriate I'll add it in but then I'll always be prepared if I'm going to change the mix to look at how the GEs the the treatment remedies are changing and that's what your people need to do right. as the as the treatment remedies are changing with the different variants, it's appropriate to vary the GE mix in that combination. Yeah. You know, so what was appropriate in um, February 2020 is not necessarily appropriate now.
1: That's so true. Yes, I know. When i la- the latest one, now we haven't had anyone ill for a while, but the last one was um, Arsenicum iodatum, seemed to be the remedy. Oh, Yeah. yeah. Finally kicked it. And so now, like say, right now, we're all everybody's just like, (laughs) you know, what's next?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's true.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have enjoyed this so much this 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 pod this podcast with you, Doctor Isaac. And like I said, I know we're we're going to have continued questions all the time. And um, and I just loved what you said about people finding out now that there is an option, and Mm. that's what this is all about. And I'm so excited to be sharing all this information and, um, you guys over there in Australia, I, 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 did you hear you interviewed with, um, Eugenie Kruger back? Oh gosh, I think it was a few years ago, actually. And (laughs) and I'll take your word for it. (laughs) You guys have, I mean, you have just wonderful resources there. I know the homeopaths are kind of far few and in between in Australia, but you guys sure are putting out a lot of information for the rest of us around the world. And we really appreciate it. And we want to stay in touch, (laughs) keep that communication going. That's that's great. So So I I
2: hope this hasn't been too much of just a personal journey to India and Cuba. That's what uh, (laughs) we need to hear
1: because that's, it's so important that everyone hears this because the statistics, and that's what a lot of people say, how do I, how do I explain to family members you know, I want to do this with my children. I don't want them to be vaccinated. I want to do this naturally. Where do I go? What kind of information do I give them? And so we've got, hopefully everyone can go to your homestudy.net and look up.
2: Not home study, home study. Home. Not, not home, no E in it.
1: Okay. Just H-O-M.
2: No, okay. H-O-M study.net. Okay. Yeah.
1: Perfect. Thank you for correcting me so that they can find these statistics and and the information that you put out and um, sign up. for. Can I just say one thing very briefly?
2: Yes. Um, When I talk to parents who ask about what am I going to say to my family or even to doctors and nurses, I always say to them. If you're using homeopro- an appropriate homeoprophylaxis program, begin with a point of agreement. Begin by saying, we believe in immunizing against the most serious diseases, and that's what we're doing. And then if the person says, well, you know, it's a load of rubbish, there's no evidence, so-and-so says you shouldn't do it, then they can say to them, if they look at what's on that, that, in that article, well, you know, we've done our research. This is a method that's been used not only for over 220 years, but it's used by government agencies in other countries in literally hundreds of millions of people or doses, sorry, hundreds of millions of doses. And over the years, it probably is looking around the world, hundreds of millions of people. Right. And just they don't need to remember everything, but just know, first of all, they're doing something proactive, to immunize against the most serious diseases. And secondly, what they're doing has a massive evidence base. And if they approach it that way, that'll often diffuse a potentially unpleasant conversation.
1: Right, right. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) You have said that so well.
2: (laughs) Well, hundreds of millions of doses. That's a hell of a lot more than the vaccine companies ever do.
1: Right, exactly.
2: As a, right. as a trial before they're released. You know, it's the, the evidence base now for homeoprophylaxis in general is indisputable. I don't care what any epidemiologist or whatever says. Whilst each one of the articles I refer to has its own weaknesses. When you get such a body of evidence that says the same thing, right. that's consistent, you know, we yep. can honestly say to people that on average, the effectiveness is around 90%. And that's wow. as good as you'll get from the vaccines, but without any risk of toxic damage. Wow. That's the bottom line.
1: That's awesome. And so with that, we're going to let everyone go. And we thank you so much, Dr. Isaac Golden, for
0: being here with us.
1: Now, my pleasure Sue. thank you. All right. God yep. bless.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Homeopathy for Mommies radio show. Please visit Sue on her website, homeopathyformommies.com and join us right here at homeopathyformommiesradio.com. Wednesday, noon Eastern. As always, we pray the Lord blesses you with good health, vitality, strength, and wisdom.